Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We're talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish egotistical or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Let's talk about a subject matter that a lot of us don't really want to talk about. That is getting older. But what if we were to talk about aging from a state of grace, where we see our maturity and certainly modern maturity in this day and age is something that we can approach and experience from a very heartfelt, loving, adventuresome place. And we've been looking for a while to find some experts to talk to on this subject because this is something that's near and dear to my heart as I am in the ripe, juicy middle of life, as I like to call it. Doctors Jimmy Holland and Mindy Greenstein are our colleagues. They work together in the fields of psycho oncology and they have done so for a while and they've put this book together they've written this book over many years and the book is entitled lighter as we go virtues character strengths and aging and the book was selected by the wall street journal as one of the best books of the year about making the most of life after 50. And by the way, if you're under 50, you do not have to turn the volume down. Just sit and enjoy this because we're all headed to the same place, but let's learn to do it more joyfully. Welcome doctors Jimmy Holland and Mindy Greenstein. Thank you. Thank you. We're pleased to be here. Very pleased, yes. Well, I, I, I am just delighted because this really is something that we talk about in our production meetings. How do, we, how do we share this process of aging in a different light where the process can be something that is just filled with curiosity, wonder, delight, courage, and fearlessness? I think one of the things that, that led us to do this book was the fact that we we found that older people really have quite a stigma attached to themselves and to the whole issue of aging, and that that's just not really 
appropriate given today how well people, how well they stay physically and how much they continue doing things and enjoying life. So we wanted to bring a different perspective to aging. Mm -hmm. That's what's out there on the street when you when you read and think about aging and you talk to young people who think it's just a step before death. And one one thing that, that you, people can do is what Jimmy and I did, which is hang out together. Don't just hang out in your own age silo, but actually be open to learning about what somebody from a different generation thinks, how they, you know, how they, they view things, how they're similar to you, how they're different uh, from you, and, uh, and just have, have fun and realize the more that older people get to sort of share the wealth with people my age, I'm 53, um, the more people my age can chill out about what's coming ahead and perhaps even look forward to some aspects of it. Well, we, we worked a little bit together about what, I'm 87, what is it, that has sort of sustained me so I can still cope with things that are going on. And we became very interested in positive psychology. You know, what are our, our characteristics that sustain us like courage, like helping other people, like being a bridge to younger generations uh, who are coming along. And these sorts of things have, have been part of psychology for eons, but somehow or other they got lost in the process of looking at all of the bad things about people, the pathology, rather than their positive things. Right. So this, the character strengths really are the old Greek virtues that were described millennia ago. And we thought people, if they got heard those again and, and realized how many strengths they really have that they don't appreciate, that this would be helpful. Well, so it's was, not only helpful, but I, I can just give you a, a, a brief experience that I have. Uh, as I mentioned to you, I'm, I'm, I'm 51 now, and I am a, a nice Jewish girl from Southern California, but I'm involved with a church group um, in Malibu, and it's called The Listening Post. And I have a, a posse of older women. I call them my church ladies, and they're in their 70s. And it is one of the most rich experiences that I have. Uh, we come together and we train people to be community-based listeners, people that need to be heard. So there's this, the, um, this, this, the service aspect, there's, but there's also, also the multi-generational communing that's going on. And my experience is just as you describe. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. And we, you know, it, one of the things that happens is that you learn to appreciate your similarities across ages and your differences. So my joke is that uh, Jimmy is the uh, can-do Texas shiksa of our group, and I'm the Ive <laughs> New York Jew. <laughs> the two of us, we come, you know, we we come together uh, in in ways that uh, are really fun and enlightening. And you know, one of the things that we learned in the course of um, our work together is this uh, research called the U-Bend Research, which uh, is a huge surprise to people. And that mm -hmm. is uh, re uh, researchers across all different areas, uh, economics and psychology and sociology, uh, they found that uh, people's experience of well-being uh, cha changes during life in a kind of predictable pattern uh, for a lot of people. Uh, it's called a U-shape because... That pattern is a U. In their early 20s, they start out with a, feeling a lot of uh, well-being. Uh, but then as they get a little older, uh, yours and my age, <laughs> it goes way, way down. Um, uh, but the, the surprise is that in our kind of uh, early, mid-50s, our feelings of well-being actually go up and keep going up through our 60s, 70s, and 80s, so that by the time you're Jimmy's age, uh, you're actually reporting higher well-being than the people who are her granddaughter's age in their early 20s. 
So and, um, that's another surprise of that, you know, paradox. Um, yeah. It's called the paradox, but. It is, and and I I do know a little bit about this these U Bend studies, and uh, the the theories are multifold, aren't they? One is that the children um, get older, and the pressure on the parents are less, so there's some liberation there in terms of schedule and time, um, caring less about what others think. I would assume yes. is also part of that. Yes, very much. Well, also and what you are, know, Carstensen says that it's that you recognize it. That, that there's much less of life left than there was before, and you try to make the best of it in a way that you didn't uh, when you didn't think about the fact that life is indeed limited. I think there's yeah. some truth to that, too. But yeah. the fascinating thing is that, that they found the same thing in primates, in apes and chimpanzees, yes. <laughs> the same well-being uh, bend in the primates when you can measure well-being in some sort of way, which do people zookeepers and even in the wild seem to have been able to do so. Older primates are just a little more mellow. They think it a little easier and uh, are a little, a little different to when they're young. So there may be a biological component to it also. Yeah, may, maybe have evolutionary value, you know. Well, maybe there's some chill hormones that, that, that yeah. are activated. Is that possible? That, that, that. Well, and, well, one of the things is that, you know, as, as we live over time, we gain certain sorts of, of wisdom. Um, and one of my favorite quotes was, is from uh, the uh, author Margaret Atwood, where she said, hmm. um, uh, good judgment comes from experience, but uh, experience comes from bad judgment. Mm-hmm. So you have a lifetime <laughs> of making lots of mistakes. And those are the things you actually learn from the most. You learn from your triumphs, but you really learn from your failures too. And then one of the things you also learn is to um, be able to accept the, you know, the mistakes and to accept them as things you actually learned from and as a, a part of your life and to be less apologetic, uh, in, in fact. So I think that might be one of the ways that we learn to chill out a little also is the way our attitude changes that way. Right. This is why we call it lighter as we go, that we think you, you drop some of the psychological baggage you carry around earlier in life that kind of weights you down at times as you worry about issues from the past. Somehow or other, that you, take, you have them in a little bit better perspective when you get older. You put them in a perspective that's tolerable. Uh, and I think perspective is one of the gifts of, of time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're able to balance our perceptions and, versus what reality yeah. is and how right. it fits into the model for the life that we want to live. And that is a gift that can't be bought. It can only be experienced. Right. I remember in one of our in one of our support groups, I asked the group, uh, "How has your perspective changed since you were younger?" And uh, uh, a retired physician in his seventies started to laugh, and he said, "I didn't have perspective when I was younger." <laughs> um, it's 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 precisely because you have you know times to compare to each other that you gain a kind of see life in 3D a little bit more. I think we also, you know, you, you've sort of cut your teeth on, on adverse events all your life, and you kind of learn to handle them and maybe even to, to joke about them. When you can't t- turn something around like losing your hearing, which is happening to me, well, you kind of joke about it, you know, and that takes away some of this thing. I see, think you see older people very often making light of, of disabilities in, in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, well, one think, of the well, group members would say in our older uh, group, 
would say, you know, we don't want any organ recitals today. <laughs> you don't want to be talking about our pancreas <laughs> uh, today. We or, want to talk or about my diarrhea else. or my vomiting. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. We don't like keep the bodily functions at bay for you know for the yes. for, for the sake of everybody's happiness. You know? <laughs> Absolutely, you know about that from your group. <laughs> I do. We are gonna. We are actually gonna go to a break. Um, but before we do, I just want to circle back to the work that you do as doctors, because this is really important. Jimmy, you are, you're a psychiatrist. You founded right. the field of psycho-oncology. Mindy, you also um, began working under Jimmy as a, as a psycho-oncologist. And in your own right, right you're an author. You have published other books. One is the acclaimed memoir, The House on Crash Corner and Other Unavoidable Calamities. Yeah. And a lot of your time is spent working with patients or in the past has been spent working with patients patients who are really challenged by life-threatening illness. And I want to talk about how that has affected your aging process when we come back, because it can't help but have affected the way you have chosen to live when you are seeing people and treating people who are confronting the ways that they may be dying. So I would love to um, talk about about that. We're going to go to a break to learn more about the work of doctors Jimmy Holland and Mindy Greenstein. Please visit theartoflivinglighter.com. Once again, the book is Lighter As We Go, Virtues, Character Strengths, and Aging. And on Facebook, that page is, it's actually Mindy's page, Mindy Greenstein, Mindy.Greenstein, and the Twitter handle is at Mindy Greenstein. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on Addiction, an Integrated Journey to Wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own-nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about what it means to get older, but we are spinning this in the best possible, most joyful light because we're doing it with grace and gusto. With doctors Mindy Greenstein and Jimmy Holland, they are the authors of Lighter As We Go, Virtues, Character Strengths, and Aging. And prior to the break, we were talking a little bit about their backgrounds. They have worked together in the field of psycho-oncology. And ladies, I would love for you to talk a little bit about exactly what psycho-oncology is, maybe how you came together, and what you learned about living from those who are confronted with dying. Well, since Jimmy is the mother, literally, of psycho-oncology, I think she would go. Well, when I... Actually, I'm married to an oncologist, and so I've always been interested in how people face very catastrophic things that happen to them. And listening to my husband talk about his patients when I was home with little kids made me think, gee whiz, those people need help. And at that time, there was no psychological help, no, no counseling in can- any cancer hospitals in the world. And so I started in 1977 at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, and, you know, it kind of had a ripple effect. Memorial did it, and maybe Dana-Farber should do it, and Stanford should do it, and so on. And so now I think it would be impossible to find a cancer center that didn't have some kind of program going to help people uh, to cope better. So I've had the wonderful opportunity to to see a whole field develop, uh, not only in the U.S., but around the world. So it's very gratifying. Mindy and I have gotten together, I think, because, of again, of our ages and our interests. Mindy's had breast cancer, which she will tell you about. But what we, we've kind of found as we worked along this issue of aging is that there's some very close similarities to people who are diagnosed with, with cancer. You know, suddenly the, the life may not be as long as you'd hoped. Same for with aging. It may not be as long as we'd hoped. Um, feeling you have to make the most from every day. You have, to, you have to make the most of it because you don't know how long it's going to be. Very similar with aging. You're, now, you're more aware when you get in your 70s and 80s that life isn't going to be forever. And so we must make the best of every day. Enjoy the little things. So I think you find many of us will say, you know, I, gee, I listen to music more carefully now. I, I'm more, I enjoy the sunrise, the sunset, ways that I didn't when I was 50 because I was too busy to pay attention to it. So I think there are similarities, but Mindy couldn't give it a personal turn. Well, I think what happens is, I mean, the issue of mortality cuts both ways. So uh, in a sense, of course, we're all dying, right? That's the nature of being a human being. And you can think of it as dying or you can think of it as being alive. Um, and so, you know, I found I had uh, ca- breast cancer twice. I was a psycho-oncologist first. And um, I was actually quite shocked that I was so shocked. <laughs> and I was sort of a civilian when, uh, when I was diagnosed. And I, I had to learn how to cope from, from scratch the way my patients uh, had needed to, to learn to do it from scratch. And, and uh, one way that it absolutely affected my experience of aging is that, you know, when you work with cancer patients and then when you are a cancer patient, you really appreciate that, you know, aging really is the desired alternative. There's no question about it. It doesn't look so bad uh, <laughs> right. anymore. And uh, when I see an older person, I don't think, oh, that person can't do X or Y anymore. I think, wow, that person's still alive at the age of 90. I should have such troubles as to still be alive at the age of 90. And so I really uh, sort of appreciated it, it personally. 
And I mean, the fact is that uh, the recognizing our mortality, it, it can be quite a, a, put quite a damper on things, but it is a real reminder that you're alive now. Now is when you get to live. So um, why not feel alive? Why not do the things that make you feel alive? Why not pay attention to the things that are most meaningful to you without fear and without apology? No matter what others, you know, other people might think you should be doing X or Y or Z, but that doesn't matter. What, what is meaningful to you to do? What is worth waking up for for you um, this morning? And so for, I think for people who have been around a long time and for people who have had this threat, and you have to remember, people that cancer don't necessarily die. Many people survive, um, but do learn to appreciate the, um, the extra special uh, touch that uh, a touch with mortality can bring to everyday life. I, I think I you think bring up a good point, though. When, when Jimmy, when you first started or founded the field of psychooncology and you started working in the 70s, the mortality rate for cancer, you know, the, 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 the C word, right? In my household, you don't even call it cancer. It's the C word, right? right? Was, yeah. was very different than it is now. Very different. I mean, you know, children were still 100% fatal. Uh, with leukemias, for example, now 80, 90% with particularly one particular form of leukemia are totally cured. So we have seen a renaissance in, in survival in ca- different types, kinds of cancer. Um, and, and we're seeing it now. Precision medicine is bringing uh, uh, targeted medicines to help the immune system. So we, there's a lot of hype in the, in the culture about cancer and, and how it's changing. But the the specter is still there, and I think it's different in, in each decade because the treatments change, but, you know, the human fear of death and the human concerns about, uh, I, I don't want to die and I don't want to be disabled, these, these stay exactly the same. So I think human emotions stay the same across millennia. It's just that the, the epoch in which one lives and the treatments change. Yeah. And, and regardless Mindy, what you in, tr- have in terms of being, hang on one sec, I just want to ask you a question about your, ex- your experience with cancer, that certainly when one gets a diagnosis of cancer or any other life-threatening illness, the, the, the fear of death is activated. But what I hear you saying with the, with the field of psycho-oncology, that one of the gifts in this area is to activate people's desire for li- living and life. Yes, I mean, you know, I have uh, I have a a, a a motto that you know, if cancer is a gift, I want the returns counter. So, so <laughs> right. I, uh, um, so that's what I want to do with that gift. On the other hand, it it definitely uh, was sort of a, a, sh- a shock that did force me to appreciate the present moment. And one of the ways that I I learned to cope was. Look, I don't know what tomorrow brings, and it's kind of none of my business. But if this thing kills me, it's not killing me today, and it's not killing me tomorrow. So I have that in the meantime, and what happens down the line uh, uh, happens. And that's still sort of my, my attitude. Um, and and the different people have different ways of coping. I've had people say, you know, as bad as it was to have cancer, I have to say I'm glad it happened because I see life very differently now. So it does change, have positive aspects to it. Right. It doesn't mean I would choose it if I had a choice. (laughs) (laughs) I would choose not to have it if I had a choice. But given the way life works, I I didn't have a choice. Well, you know, the, the first show that I did, which is this is now going six years back, 
I had done it from, um, we actually broadcast from one of the well-known hospitals in Boston, and the name is escaping me in the moment. But the man that I interviewed was a breast, uh, a brain cancer survivor, and he had been a very, um, very prominent businessman in the business world, and everything was about making money and the drive to be bigger and have more, et cetera, et cetera. And he got this uh, diagnosis, and it was a, a not a very good one at first, but it does have a happy outcome. And what he did is he went through the therapy and the treatment and, and, and survived and began to cycle long distances. And he started to create these long-distance um, bike riding uh, rallies and raised a ton of money for the hospital. And in the interview, he said, you know, I wouldn't have said this two or three years ago, but getting cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me yeah. because it taught me how to live. Right, right. Many people say that. So it, it's, it, it's, they call it benefit finding in the field, but it's, it's looking at it in a broader perspective and seeing, you know, it changes the way you think. And it can be hard work to find the benefit. Right. But, but yeah. I think aging has the same potential, that it, it helps you to sort of appreciate living every day. Making the most of every day becomes much more important because, again, I think you're more aware that life is not as long as it was when you were 20. And you may appreciate different things than, than uh-huh. you appreciate. You may appreciate your relationships a lot more. One of the things right. Laura Carstensen found is, in particular, as uh, as people get either later in life or you know they're dealing with mortality issues, their relationships become uh, more important uh-huh. to them. And I think also, um, being a grandmother, that it becomes important that you're passing on important things, values, ideas, political views, whatever, but to the next generation because you begin to realize, I'm not going to be here. What am I leaving behind on this planet, and how can I impact that by helping the kids coming along? So I think this sense of being a bridge between the past where I can tell them what it was like before, what it's like now, and how it ought to be in the future is very important. Well, I think you share something really important about, you know, what we leave behind. You know, and, and when we talk about light, lighter as we go, and uh-huh. if what we leave behind is um, a contribution of meaning, you know, a way of being in the world yes. that adds to it being a better right. place. We're called that, keepers of meaning by, by yeah. Valiant. Yeah, George Valiant, yes. Called the keepers of meaning, which is, is older people are. I like that a lot. I do too. Keepers of meaning. <laughs> we are nearly out of time, but I want to just touch on... Um, some of the virtues, you know, we talk about the virtues or character strengths. If you could just list uh, some of these virtues, I, we mentioned them at the beginning of the show, but maybe close out with, with the eight most powerful virtues. So there's uh, wisdom, uh, courage, transcendence. Now, under transcendence, we didn't talk about this, but particular kind of transcendence is humor. Very important to uh, be able to learn how to laugh at uh, at uh, at one's miseries, uh, humanity, our relationship to uh, to yeah, others, altruism, yeah. uh, uh, temperance, the ability to sort of learn some self control, uh, eating, drinking, etc. Uh-huh. Uh, being a bridge <laughs> to uh, to other uh, Generation. to younger generations, and also learning to appreciate the cycle of life, including the, its end. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And that is, that is the challenge for all of us. You know, how, how do we want to approach the exit door, which we should leave open for another show to have you come back and talk about that. Cause that isn't, that is another subject that, um, there is a lot of awareness being drawn to at this time. Yes, Very especially true. these days. Very yes. true. Yes, indeed. Yes, yes. To learn, I want to thank you for, for joining me. This has been just an absolute treat and delight for me. It's a subject that I want to carry on the conversation um, with because it's very important that we experience our aging with grace and gusto and as much joy as possible to learn more about the work of Drs. Jimmy Holland and Mindy Greenstein and the book Lighter as we go, virtues, character, strengths, and aging. Please visit their website, theartoflivinglighter.com. On Facebook, the page is Mindy.greenstein, and the Twitter handle is at Mindy Greenstein. And ladies, you are awesome. You are uh, a beacon of light for all of us who are uh, in the upside of the U curve. <laughs> That's I will. So you have a lot to look forward to. Thank you very much. Thank you. We all do. Thank you so much. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at HarvestingHappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user-friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's HarvestingHappiness.com. Lisa Cypress-Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because caring is sharing. And we're talking about what it means to age in the world today. What does it look like to walk the path from um, our 20s and our 30s and our 40s into our 50s into a healthy, happy hearty life for the decades beyond. And we are living longer and we are living smarter and we are living more healthfully. And with me in the studio now is my guest, Chris Farrell. He's a senior economics contributor at Marketplace, American Public Media's nationally syndicated public radio business and economics programs. He's an economics commentator for Minnesota Public Radio, an award-winning journalist, Chris is a columnist for Next Avenue and the Star Tribune. He has written for a number of other media outlets. He's the author of four books. His latest, which we're talking about today, is Unretirement, How Baby Boomers Are Changing the Way We Think About Work, Community, and the Good Life. He also is a podcaster. The Unretirement podcast is available at unretirement.fm. And we'll get into that as we go. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Well, it is a pleasure and an honor because I am, I am stuck, or not stuck, I have arrived in the smack, juicy middle of life, and I'm doing it with a lot of joy. But this may be a challenge for some of us. Well, you know, part of the challenge is the atmosphere that we live in, because if you mention getting older, the second half of life, you know, much of our public discussion is very pessimistic. It's very negative. We can't afford all these seniors. We can't afford all these old people. And people haven't saved enough for their retirement. And Social Security is going to go bankrupt. And, you know, I really think that this is a fundamentally flawed conversation that we're having. And that actually the second half of life and the way it's being redefined on a grassroots level is much more exciting, far more optimistic. And it's a search, and it's a very exciting search that's going on for meaning and money. And this is the search, you know, because a lot of people, as they age, are going to need to continue to earn a little bit of money, particularly if we haven't saved that much, sending our kids to college, that kind of a thing. But the other thing is it, it, it's a search for meaning because at the same time, for many people, it's not just earning money to pay the bills. It's earning money that you're – you're doing something you feel proud about. You feel is making a difference. You're going to leave a legacy. And I think this is one of the most exciting social movements, grassroots movements in our society. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree because to me, the term retirement um, sort of means that I'm going to be sort of put out to pasture. And that has no appeal or interest to be out of the game of life. It does. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the notion of, of, of retirement was actually a great moment in our history, or actually in world history. Because if you think about for most people up into the early uh, uh, decades of the post-World War II era, you know, basically what most people did is they worked until they died. And then thanks to Social Security and the Medicare and a lot of defined benefit pension plans and the strong economic growth we had in the post-World War II world, you know, people were that the average person was able to retire, to embrace leisure. This was an incredible moment, first time in history that this had ever been true. It always been true for the wealthy, but not for the mm. average person. But what has happened is, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we're healthier, we're living longer. 
And what we've also learned is what many people want is not to retire. They want to take a sabbatical. They want to leave the grind for a year or two. They want to do some things and rethink about what is it they want to do. They want to get their, their energy and their batteries recharged. But so much about who we are and what we are are the skills, the knowledge, the experience that we've accumulated over the years. And everybody wants to be useful. And so one of the ways that we'd be useful is in the workplace, having a job, starting your own business, part-time work, flexible work. There's a, there's a whole uh, search for the, the, these kinds of jobs that provide meaning and money at the same time. It's because we want to be useful. We want to tap into our skills. And more and more people don't want to say, and it's an odd moment. It's an odd thing to think of. So you've, get, you've worked all your life, 30, 40 years, and then you're going to walk away from all that skill all that knowledge, all that experience, and never use it again. That's an odd thing to think about. Very odd. I mean, well, the, the generation that I am a part of, it wouldn't even think of it. I mean, retirement is not part of my vernacular and many of the people that I know. Part of it is because of economic need. You know, we can no longer afford to um, opt out of the workplace. But the other part I think you so appropriately touched upon is, is making meaning, having a place and something to show up for, even if that is a, a, a virtual place. Yes. And, you know, if you think about the workplace, it's a social institution, and we underestimate that. You know, uh, you go to work, and someone's having a baby. You celebrate that baby. Someone's going through a divorce. You help them get through that divorce. There are people you really don't like because it's a social, and there are people you really do like, and it's a community. And I think that's been vastly underestimated. And when there are these surveys, it's been done over the years, and it's surveys about uh, retirees. What do you most miss about your pre-retirement life? And what they all say, number one on that list, is the colleagues, the people they knew, the suppliers, the vendors. And so I think the social aspect of work is incredibly important. And the other thing that's underestimated, it's not just the social aspect, but it's the health aspect. Because if you are getting up and going to work, you're getting up and going to work, you're taking a shower, you're brushing your teeth, you come to work – you know, every time you sit down, it seems like the technology department's installed some sort of new technology, so you have to use your brain and you have to learn this technology, and you're talking to people and you're interacting with people, and the evidence is becoming very compelling that we used to think working longer were the healthier people, but now what we're beginning to realize is that's part of it, but the other side of it is working longer is good for your health. Yeah, and working joyfully. I mean, the fact is, if we can work doing what we love, that gives us a sense of purpose, meaning, structure to our day, something to look forward to, and it can be something completely different than our careers of origin or an aspect of a portfolio career, which is a, which is becoming very, very large. You know, it was once thought that we did one thing in our lives and that was it. But now people are evolving into different kinds of careers that involve lots of different skills. And doing that well and joyfully, you know, it reduces sickness, elevates our well-being, the well-being of those around us certainly as well. Yes. And so I think part of what's going on for many people they want to take their skills, their knowledge, their experience. As I said, that you know, they've gathered with all the ups and downs of a career. But for many people, they want to shift to a different sector of the economy. So let's say you were working for a for-profit company. You might want to go to work for a nonprofit organization. And you're going to tap into your skills and your knowledge. But there's a 
there's a creative push, there's an excitement where you're working with a different organization, with a different mission, with different values, and then you meet new people and people who have different experiences than what you were used to. And one of the reasons why I think so many people treat retirement as actually a sabbatical is the need to get away from your colleagues or your career and what other people are telling you within that world you live in, this is the smart thing to do. When you retire, you kind of you, you think things through, and it's what's good for me. What would I like to do? What do I think is a smart thing to do? What do I believe in? And then you find that. And again, usually most people are not reinventing themselves. They're taking their skills, their knowledge, and they're doing something different. But there's and that's exciting. But there's also that reassurance that you have something to offer because you're tapping into what you've learned over the years. So the the moniker unretirement is a is a reevaluation of where we find ourselves in, in in this second half of life. That's right. It's a reimagining, a rethinking of the second half of life. It includes work as part of it. And for many people, it's going to be part time work or flexible work, contract work. And this is really a grassroots movement. And what's exciting is you're seeing a lot of organizations that are being formed and people trying to um, exchange ideas and realize. I'm not alone. I'm, other people are trying to do this. And so these, these conversations that are happening are very exciting because you can't just go into your search engine and say, okay, reimagine second half of life. What should I do? <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there. So I think these organizations, this grassroots movement, this rethinking is one of the more exciting things going, and it's completely underappreciated because so much of our discussion, as I said earlier, about uh, getting older is about how hard it is. And yet so many of the people who are in their unretirement years are energized and engaged. You know, um, you have a podcast. We're going to go to a break in a minute. So just very quickly, share with our listeners um, when the podcast airs, where it can be found, and then we'll go to the break and come back and carry on this discussion because I want to talk about ageism, the realities of what's going on out there in the world. But before we do, where can our listeners tune in? So they can tune in unretirement.fm is the website for the Unretirement podcast, or you can go to iTunes and just search unretirement and you can listen to it there. I, I, I love this notion of the second half of life being a rebirthing or a reinvention of ourselves and the gifts that we can share with the world. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with Chris Farrell. To learn more, go to chrisfarrellblog.com or nextavenue.org. And the Twitter handle is at cfarrellcon. So that's cfarrellcon, that's C-O-N. And, and, and on Facebook, I'm I'm tripping over my tongue here. I'm sorry. On Facebook, the page name is Christopher John Farrell. It is. And the, the Twitter is C. Farrell Econ. Oh, we've, you, we, sorry about that. I'm sorry glad that you that. clarified that. Yes, C. Farrell Econ, at C. Farrell Econ. And on, on Facebook, it's Christopher John Farrell at Chris J. Farrell. I made a mistake there, and I apologize. Here come the tunes. We will be right back. Um, But before we do, today we are talking about aging gracefully, aging in a a place of unretirement with Chris Farrell. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. 
we know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress Kamen, author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H-Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking about aging well and aging joyfully. And with me today, we have Chris Farrell. He's an author. He's a blogger. He has his own podcast entitled unretirement.fm. And we're talking about what it means to be unretired, what it means to dance gracefully into the second half of our lives with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room, and that is ageism. Oh, age discrimination is real. There is no doubt about that. And you know, in this search for money and meaning in the second half of life, like all transitions, unfortunately, it's going to be harder than we would like it to be or we would hope that it would be. So ageism is real. That said, the most valuable asset that an experienced worker has, and there are some advantages to being an experienced worker, the most valuable asset they have is their network the colleagues, the friends, the people that they've met over the years. And the thing about that network is they know who you are. They know your character. They know what you can do. They don't care about your age. So for many people who are trying to get a job through the door, sending in a resume, uh, going through human resources, it can be a bleak world. 
But if you go to your network and you start tapping into your network, and more than 50% of all jobs come through, you know, the third degree of separation, some kind of network. And so as people are looking for work, and a big part of it is also this desire to find something that you feel good about, that you're actually, you know, you really want to get up in the morning and you really want to go to work. What is that? And for many people, it's not right at the tip of their tongue. They want to, they need to search for it. So what I would do is tap into your network and start talking to your network and say, well, what do you think I would be good at doing? I like what you do. Do you think I'd be good at that? No. What, what is it that I would be good at doing? Do you know somebody that I can talk to? And you have these conversations with, with your network. And that's the way a lot of people are going to find their jobs through their network, maybe that third or fourth or fifth degree of separation. But again, that's one way of dealing with ageism, which is a very real force in our society. And the networking is so valuable, and it doesn't always lead, I I, want to also share, necessarily to a paid position at the start. Maybe at the beginning, it it leads to contacts, connections, an opportunity to show up and be of service. And oftentimes, that leads to other things that then leads to employment or, or being able to consult. Absolutely. I mean, one of the most important ways that people can get jobs, say, in the nonprofit sector is to volunteer. And volunteering is a wonderful thing to do in and of itself and on its own. But if you are in the second half of life and you are sort of the, the, trying to, you know, rethink what it is you're going to be doing, you know, look at what are the causes you believe in? What are the issues that matter to you? What is it that you find yourself volunteering? And then look at these organizations with a slightly different eye. Do you so it has a cause you believe in that that's not a question, but do you like this organization? Do they have need for your skills? Perhaps the one you're volunteering at? No, not that one. But you're also around people who are in development or working in the nonprofit sector and you start talking with them. Where do you think I could get a job? Where do you think I could really help out? Where would my skills be needed? And so it's uh, volunteering can be an incredibly powerful way to get a job in the not-for-profit sector. And for many people, you're going to earn less money. You accept the fact that you're going to earn less money if this is the kind of work you're going to be doing. But if it's a cause you believe in and an organization you like and people that you admire, that's an okay trade-off. Well, I think it redefines what what richness means, right? It does redefine what what riches riches means, uh, richness means, as you you say. (laughs) And the other thing that it does... Just thinking about, you know, now just putting on sort of the personal finance hat and thinking about living standards and your lifestyle. One of the things that's underestimated in this whole unretirement movement is we still have this very powerful image that, you know, you work really hard and you have your ups and downs in your career, but you hit around 60 or the early 60s and then you retire and then you have to live off your accumulated savings. And then the big risk is, of course, that you just live too long. But with this unretirement, the thing about it is, if you continue to work, even if you're earning a smaller income, it really does shore up your finances, and you actually end up living off your savings for a relatively short period of time. And the thing is, you're doing something you want to be doing. Last night, I happened to have watched a series on PBS about aging into the 90s and beyond. And they had interviewed a cab driver in New York City 
who was 94 years old. The guy looked great, had all his marbles, um, really was in great physical shape. And he was talking about what it means when he goes to his cab each day and he goes out into the world and he serves. He makes a little bit of money. He has fun. He never knows where he's going to end up. You know, that, it, that every day is an adventure. And yeah. the um, interviewer asked him if he ever shared his age. He goes, oh, God, no. <laughs> it was very, very cute. Because why would I want that? Why would I want them to question if I should have my license, you know? <laughs> the uh, podcast that we're uh, pulling together that right now, they'll come out soon. It's a 72-year-old grandmother who's an Uber driver. And, Love it. Um, and what is and and she does it all the same thing. Sounds sounds like what you're saying. You know, she does it because it's flexible. She doesn't drive at night, but she takes the dog for a walk, and then she's sitting on the couch and she's turned on the TV and she says, oh, "Why don't I want to watch TV?" And she turns on the you know her her smartphone and she gets a ride. Usually it's to the airport, but the thing about it is. She wanted to work, but she wanted flexible hours, and she really enjoys her customers. She enjoys driving people to airports. Just sometimes people don't want to talk. They're just quiet. That's fine. But most people have a conversation. You have a chat. And so, it's, uh, so even driving can be a very social uh, moment as a, as a job. And all the things that can be troublesome about trying to raise a young family in this gig economy without benefits as you get older and you have social security and medicare hopefully some retirement savings you know this gig economy can be a good way to make some extra money stay engaged be social i love this the gig economy i have not heard that term and it makes perfect sense and that's why uber does well that's why elance which is now upwork does well you know, they, that you can go in and um, use your skills, do what you love, work as much or as little as you want. But what about people who can't continue working because their health is failing? How do they, they create a sense of purpose and meaning to their aging process? So I have sort of two answers. One of which you're absolutely right. Those are some people. One of the things longer term as we look out is that I think – Workplaces need to make more accommodations, and technology is redefining disability. So I think a lot of people who are disabled today that cannot make it to the workplace in 10, 15 years that we will def define disability down, and they're going to be able to get to the workplace. One of the things that there's a lot of excitement in the disability community is with the driverless car. Will the driverless car open up the workplace to more and more people who are now housebound? So I think that's, but that's a longer-term answer looking out. I think what, um, for everybody, the worst thing is to be lonely. The worst thing yes. is to be isolated. And you know what? The money helps. But if you think about the whole discussion that we're having about unretirement, it's really about being engaged, having a purpose, being in a social environment, and where you're being useful, where people actually listen to what you have to say. Or even if they don't listen to what they say, they have to at least acknowledge that you're in the room. And so <laughs> there, yeah. it's more like a community, right? And so there can be hopefully community activities and um, that you can get involved in, that you have knowledge and experience that you can mentor with younger people and 
teach them how to read and or teach them how to do some simple math problems. And so what I would just constantly search for is what in my community can I do, even with my limitations, what can I do to give back? And it may be more on the volunteer side of the economy, but that's okay. That's a good thing. What you don't want to do is be lonely and isolated and sit and, and, and not feel that you're being useful. Paid markets, one way to do it. But if there are just real barriers to doing that, boy, I'd look at all the young people in our society that could benefit from your knowledge and your experience. How can you help them out? And, you know, it's it's funny. I, I prescribed to a client a month or two ago to go see the intern. He was going through a crisis of confidence, much in the situation that you're describing. And I said, just go see it. Go have a laugh. Yes, it's Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. But it, you'll, it'll put a smile on your face and you'll get the point. And he came back in the next week. He goes, I saw it. And yes, I get it now. <laughs> you know, and yeah, for those of you who don't know about the intern, lab, Robert De Niro know? is the intern. So you can imagine <laughs> what that might be about. Um, we exactly. ha- are almost out of time. And before we go, Chris, I'd love for you to share some research, uh, some resources where we can send people to learn more information about unretirement and, and, and resources besides your website, where, where, where would yeah. people start to so research? A couple of good, good research. Next Avenue, nextavenue.org, uh, which I do write for, is uh, an online magazine, a PBS online magazine targeted toward baby boomers. And there's just a lot of articles and information about opportunities as you age. So that's one resource. There's Life Reimagined, which is a joint venture with AARP, and it's about life reimagined, reimagining the second half of life. What are your possibilities? Encore.org is a wonderful organization based in the Bay Area, and their mission is for skilled, experienced boomers to take their knowledge and what they know and work with the social issues in our country. And so those are three really valuable resources for anybody. Thank you. Thank you to my guest, Chris Farrell. I want to once again give those websites. It is on retirement.fm for the podcast chrisfarrellblog.com, nextavenue.org, which he mentioned. The Twitter handle is at cfarrellecon. That is the corrected one. And on Facebook, it's Chris J. Farrell. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and my guest today wishing you the kindest words, the kindest thoughts, and the kindest actions. And once again, a big heartfelt thanks to Mindy Greenstein, Jimmy Holland, and Chris Farrell. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook 
Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.